I swear by Apollo, the physician, and all the gods and goddesses, that according to my ability and judgment, I will keep this oath and stipulation to reckon him who taught me this art equally dear to me as my parents. Hippocrates, the Greek physician, composed this oath three centuries before Christ. Today, graduating doctors still repeat his vow. Among other things, the Hippocratic Oath binds a physician not to promote abortion, to divulge confidences, to give deadly medicine even if asked for it, and to abstain from every voluntary act of mischief and corruption. I will impart a knowledge of the art to my own sons. I will follow that method of treatment which, according to my ability and judgment, I consider for the benefit of my patients and abstain from whatever is deleterious and mischievous. Do the words of Hippocrates still ring through the minds of surgeons today as they operate? Who can say? But it's likely that from time to time, every conscientious physician faces the opportunity to decide whether a patient will live or die. There may be room for argument about whether it's more humane to prolong the life of the incurably ill, the patient kept alive only by artificial means, or whether the patient deserves the release and dignity of death. And then there's the other case, where a surgeon has the chance to decide whether a patient under his knife deserves to live. And that's the substance of our story tonight on Crisis. It's titled, The Lesser of Two Evils. The year is 1931. On the south side of Chicago, there's a gloomy brick pile of a hospital, its lights shining out through a sleety rain. Inside, near the ambulance entrance, a radio plays in a small utility room furnished with a few wooden chairs and a card table. At the card table sit two men, the younger one, a doctor, all in white, the older man, a policeman, all in blue. Yeah, it's coming from the Blackhawk. Hmm? The music, from the Blackhawk. Ah, what would you give to be there tonight with a pretty young nurse, eh? There's no such thing. No such thing? As a pretty young nurse. Oh? What about Miss Metcalf? Metcalf? She's 36 if she's a day. <laughs> well, that's young. To me, it's young. It's your play. Huh? You gonna take a card? Oh, uh, what did you do? I discarded this one. Ah, so you did, so you did. Uh, how is it that you never learned to play poker, Dr. Gage? What's the matter? You tired of playing rummy? Oh, no, no. Rummy's all right. <laughs> My sister-in-law plays it morning, noon, and night. You ever been there? Where? The Blackhawk. No, I've, I've never been there. Well, I'll discard this. <laughs> rummy. Huh? Rummy. That nine goes on my ten, Jack Queen. Ah, Yeah, rummy's not my game. You want to play another one? Nah. Say, it's past midnight. When do you go off duty? I was off at ten. Why don't you go home? 
because it's warmer here. Well, it's warm, all right. She and... Yeah? What, what if Mr. Lombardi does regain consciousness? What can he tell you? Well, he could tell me who shot him. But you already know is one of Heine's gang. Yeah, but we need witnesses. Heine's like Capone. He hires the best lawyers money can buy. The D.A. don't want to go to court until he's got an open and shut case. Hmm. I read where Capone's in hot water with the federal court. <laughs> oh, gee. Yeah, income tax evasion. That's all they got on Capone. Two years ago, the Valentine's Day massacre? Can't touch him. You know what they ought to do? They ought to turn Capone loose on the street alone for about five minutes. Some guy from Heine's gang would save the state... A lot of trouble and expense. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Oh, I just love to see those two-bit hoodlums driving around in their Packards, making the law look like fools, turning the city into their own private shooting gallery. Lombardi is the fifth gang victim this month. Dr. Gage, it's Mr. Lombardi. Uh, yeah, Metcalf, what is it? Come quick. Lombardi. Lombardi. It's too late. Ah, uh, no. Talk. Lombardi, talk. Take it talk. easy, Sheehan. He's... Uh. He's dead. Well, there goes another witness. Another life. Yeah, another life. Damn them. They're shooting him down faster than we can save him. Will you kindly keep your voices down? I could hear you from the other end of the ward. Dr. Purcell. I'm sorry, Doctor. Uh, this is Sergeant Sheehan. He's been hoping Mr. Lombardi would regain consciousness long We've enough to... We've all been hoping he'd regain consciousness. Well, I guess you've all done everything you could. Tommy, I'll be on my way. All right, Sheehan. Good night to you, Miss Doctor. I know this is a strain on you, Dr. Gage, but... Let's try and think of the other patients on this floor. Yes, sir. After you've called the coroner, see me in my office, will you? In your office? Uh, yes, doctor. Supervisor Chart, you were off duty at 10 p.m. Is that right? Yes, sir. But you were still here two hours later. How come? Well, Lombardi, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, how long would you have stayed up if Mr. Lombardi hadn't obligingly expired when he did? Well, I, uh, I just wasn't tired. Doctor, you're due back on duty at 8 this morning. And you're expected to have all your wits about you. Ever think about that? It isn't that, sir. I I can get by on four hours sleep if I have to. But I... the point is you don't have to. We have competent physicians on this shift, too, Doctor. Did you think that somehow your, your very presence on the same floor with Mr. Lombardi might uh, save his life? He was my patient. 
If, if I want to stay up all night with them, then that's what I'll do. When you are in private practice, you can say that, Doctor, but you are employed by this hospital right now to gain much-needed experience. And part of that experience is, is learning how to pace yourself. Well, you know, I, I haven't always been chief of surgery. I know how you feel. Do you, sir? Do you know what it feels like to repair bodies day after day that have been shot up, intentionally shot up? There was quite a lot of that going on in France 13 years ago. I'm sorry, sir. Yeah. No need to be sorry. The thing that's wrong with you is your anger. You're an angry man, doctor. An angry doctor isn't a very good doctor. I know. Who do you think shot Lombardi? One of Heine's gang. Says who? Sheehan. All right. What little I learned about psychiatry, I remember. You have to have an object for your feelings or you'll just spin apart. You like to box? Box? Me? No. Wrestle? No. No? Yeah, I was hoping there'd be some way for you to vent your feelings. You, uh, you don't have to worry about me, Dr. Purcell. I'm all right. Oh, sure you are. You just hate Augustus Heinemann, a man you never met and, and never will meet. The boss of a, a mob of swindlers, terrorist killers. Now, if, if you want to think of yourself as being at war with the underworld, that's fine. But doctors have been at war since the time of Hippocrates. Only their enemies never surrender. We're still fighting the same ones today. TB, cancer, pneumonia, heart disease, diabetes, those are your enemies, Gage. Heinemann will never mow down as many victims as your enemies will. That's your fight, Doctor. Yeah, yeah. And you need your strength to fight again tomorrow. So go on home and get some sleep. All right, Dr. Brazil. Oh, uh, you... Uh, you never asked me what I was doing here at this hour. No, I, I didn't. <laughs> well, I... Uh, I came down to check on a patient I operated on. <laughs> Uh-oh. Ambulance? Yes, yes, and they're coming here. Dr. Brazil, we've just had a telephone call. There's been a gun battle on Warbush Avenue. All the hospitals have been alerted. Uh, how many are we getting? We don't know. Well, how do you feel, Dr. Gage? Feel like uh, going into battle? I, I guess so. All right. Then let's get down to surgery. A gang war has erupted in Prohibition-era Chicago. And on that 1931 early morning, ambulances brought the dead and dying to three hospitals, including the one where the young surgeon, Dr. Thomas Gage, was on staff. It's five minutes later now. The two small operating rooms are lighted and ready. Are you scrubbed, Dr. Gage? Yes, sir. You, you feel all right? I'm, I'm fine. All right. You take room two, I'll be in one. When we get more help, we'll send someone in to relieve you. Now take Metcalf as your assistant. You ready, Metcalf? Yes, Doctor. Here, let me help you with your mask. 
There. Thanks. All right, let's go. What we got here? Uh, can you adjust that light? Yeah, right over the operating field. He has three wounds that I can see. Oh, and he's in shock. Blood pressure? Blood pressure, very low. Pulse? He's very weak and very fast. Lost a lot of blood. Well, they're trying to match it now. Well, I don't want to go in and probe for those slugs until we can get some blood. Doctor, Pulse is getting fainter. We're going to lose this guy if we don't transfuse him in a hurry. taking the transfusion. Pressure is coming up. His pulse is still fast. Not quite so weak. All right. Now, from the looks of this wound, he's, he's taking a slug right into the stomach. Do you think you can hand me the clamps fast enough by yourself? I think so. Wait a minute, doctor. What is it? What do you want, orderly? What is this? Since when does an orderly walk into an operating doctor, room with... Dr. Gage, do you know who this man is? This man on the operating table? No. I don't know who he is, and I don't care. He's going to be a dead man if we don't hurry it's up It's Augustus and... Heinemann. Who? That's what the orderly came in to tell you. You are operating on Heine Heinemann. Heinemann? You mean the gangster? I didn't even look at his face before she put the cone over him. Heinemann. I would get Heinemann. Doctor. Dr. Gage, what are you doing? I'm taking off my mask. I'm not going to operate on this, this murder. But he's dying. Yes, yes, he is. Doctor, he's dying. I can hear you. Dr. Gage. Well, maybe one of the other doctors. They're all too busy. His blood pressure's getting lower. Who's on ether? Well, this is Russin. All right. Take the cone off. What? We're wasting ether on this animal when it, it might be needed to save a human being from suffering. Besides, I'd like to take a look at Mr. Heineman. I'd like to wake him up and let him feel these three slugs he took. Dr. Gage, you don't know what you're saying. I know exactly what I'm saying. How many people would love to be in my shoes right now? Doctor, I understand how you feel. But you just can't stand by and do nothing when you have it in your power to save a life. Any life. Why not? Are you going to tell me a surgeon can't play God? Because for all you know, God delivered this man to me. To execute him? To save all the people he'll murder if he lives. Doctor, have you ever murdered anyone? Have you? I'll excuse you, Metcalf. You can go now. Tell me, have you ever murdered anyone? Or will this be your first victim? Go on, get out. No, you can't operate on him alone. You need me, and you are going to operate. You're going to use every ounce of skill you possess. Here, here's your scalpel. I could kill him with one stroke of the scalpel. Yes, but you won't. Take it, Doctor. Take it. It wouldn't take very much. You won't kill him. You think I won't? Not with a scalpel. Not with me here. Do that and you throw away your career, Doctor. That's your word against mine. And Russin, she's here. All right. Stand by with the clamps and the sponges. We have enough sponges? This is going to be tough. All right, Metcalf. 
Let's have the gauze. How's his blood pressure? It's low, but his heartbeat is much stronger now. Well, he's lost a lot of blood. But you saved him. Help me with this pad here. You saved his life, Doctor. Yeah, well, you can't be sure about that yet. But if he does live, I just hope he stands trial. That'll make it worth saving him. Preston, you want to call an orderly and take him to his room? What's the matter, Dr. Gage? Funny, I... I never even took a look at the guy's face. Except what I could see around the ether mask. Do you think you want to look at him? Yeah. Yeah, I do. All right, I'll... I'll move the surgery lamp. No. On second thought, forget it. Oh. Hello, Dr. Purcell. Oh, yes. Hi, Tommy. Uh, just washing up. How are we doing? Well, the reinforcements arrived. Carter and Meyer came in. Are you all finished in number two? Yeah. Oh, well, there's another patient being prepped right now. Meyer will take him. Well, how did it go with you? How'd it go? Well, you were in there almost three hours. Oh, yeah. I understand your patient is alive. Good work. Is that a little irony, Doctor? No, no, I didn't mean any. I, uh, don't feel particularly heroic. Well, you're not entitled to feel heroic when a patient survives. Uh, unless you're willing to feel like a, a killer when a patient dies. Uh, a killer? Uh, you're tired, Doctor, and I am too. My philosophical utterances are a little too vague for this time of the morning. I, uh, I thought you were... Well, I thought maybe you you knew what had gone on in there. What had gone on? Well, what do you mean? Well, I... Well, I had a little fight with myself. Oh? Yeah. For a couple of minutes in there, I... I guess I must have been playing God. Well, what do you mean? Doctor, for a time in there, I... I wanted him to die. I stood there, prepared to watch Heinemann die. Heinemann? Yeah. My my patient was Augustus Heinemann. Heine. Heine the Butcher. Chicago's number two gangster. That's who I was operating oh, on. You, you're a little mixed up, son. Heinemann was in room one. Room one? That's right. He was dead of a suborbital wound by the time they brought him in. I've worked on two others in there since him. Well, then, who did I have? Well, the, the cop. You know, the one who stood off the whole mob. You ran into them just after he left here. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Sheehan. Sheehan, yes. yes. Uh, Vincent Aloysius Sheehan. Yes, yes, that's the same one who was upstairs with you when Lombardi died. He took three slugs, I understand. Oh, my God. Well, I hope you pulled him through, Doctor. Now, there's a man this city can really be proud of. it is with great satisfaction that we can report that Sergeant Vincent Aloysius Sheehan survived his crisis, and for that matter, so did young Dr. Tom Gage, who went on to save many more lives and never again found himself standing in judgment as to who should live or die. In just a moment, a preview of next week's crisis. The Lesser of Two Evils featured John Judkins... Paul Herlinger, 
Pat French and John Roder, and was written and directed by yours truly, Jim French, who invites you to be with us next week at the same time for Crisis. Crisis.